And good morning. morning. How are we? Good, good, good. Hey, it's good to be here with you all this morning. I agree with Liz. Uh, That weather is awesome. It actually feels kind of like we are actually approaching uh, the winter season, right? But don't worry, it'll be 73 on Christmas, so enjoy this while it lasts. All right. Uh, Hey, a couple of weeks ago, we actually uh, announced that we were moving to two services uh, in February, uh, and we wanted to give a little bit of vision as to why we're doing that, what that's going to look like, uh, the different kind of implications of that throughout. And so uh, each week before we start kind of the sermon, we wanted to highlight a different aspect of what we're hoping for, what we're praying for, some of the reasoning behind it. And so uh, last week, if you were here, you heard about some of our long-term vision, what we hope long-term in terms of space where we want to locate, things like that. And today I just want to really briefly highlight one of the uh, biggest switches and who it kind of benefits most uh, in a lot of ways as we kind of make this transition, and that is everyone and everything involved in children's ministry, okay? And so, uh, in fact, if you uh, were here a couple of weeks ago when I made that announcement, uh, there was a parent that was here that I don't think has ever made any sort of emotional expression during the sermon, but I announced two services, and they were like, Amen, <laughs> right? Like, I even heard a little hallelujah squeak out, all right? Salvation has appeared. So uh, on several fronts, okay, it's really, really helpful. So I wanted to give you a, a quick understanding as to why in that shift. So first of all, for parents, man, I mean, kids' schedules are just all over the place, right? Like, sometimes doing it earlier is better. Sometimes uh, being at church later is better. Man, sometimes uh, it switches from week to week, and you get to kind of manipulate and, and figure out what's going on within their, their routine. And so uh, it's really helpful to have options. And if you're a parent, you kind of know that to be true. But one of the second uh, uh, benefits is actually those who serve in children's. And so if you uh, serve in children's, if you know people that serve in children's and you have not thanked them, like you really should, okay? Because they actually miss the whole service because they are discipling our kids, right? And so, man, they are in there, right, ministering to the kids, loving on them. And so right now, there's no opportunity for them to actually engage with the larger body as a whole because of their sacrifice and their service. Well, with two services, it actually gives the option, if if they want to take that, to be able to serve one and to be able to worship one. And so then if they are serving kind of regularly, they actually don't necessarily have to miss anything, but rather they can still fellowship at large and still uh, serve in the those ways. And so uh, that is an opportunity, kind of a door open for them. Okay. But by far the most uh, uh, impactful piece, the, the people who it would benefit the most in a lot of ways is actually our kids. All right. And we keep multiplying kids because people really take that command seriously. And so we see more and more kids popping up, right? There are like 13 pregnant people right now, okay? And so there's just all this opportunity for them, okay? Because we never wanted to tax or overburden our volunteers, what we said is that we would want them to serve at most once a month. Now, there are seasons where people have served a little bit more than that or or maybe some volunteers have dropped or things like that. But overall, we've really tried to protect so that people do not get burnt out or taxed style and so that they can also worship with us. Well, that's really, really good for the volunteer in some ways, but what that uh, lacks is actually some consistency for the kids. And so what two services actually allows us to do is actually allows us to create consistency for the kids in some ways. It actually allows for people, if they feel called to do that, to actually have a sense of permanency in the children's ministry where they would serve on maybe even a weekly basis if they're able to serve one, worship one. And as somebody with kids, just the benefit of that is through the roof, okay? And so, for example, uh, Micaiah, my oldest daughter, uh, at her last birthday party, we asked her who she wanted to invite 
invite, and she named all her kid friends, and then she actually named Hannah Woosley, and Hannah is an adult, okay? And so it's like, why is Hannah being invited to a four-year-old's birthday party? Well, it's that she loves Hannah so much that she wanted her there, and that's because of the consistency that Hannah has had in Micaiah's life in different ways. And so that allows for discipleship to happen in ways that I do not personally have that uh, benefit and the, the, the influence of as a father, right? If you are a parent, you know that for whatever reason, people that are, that, that, that are influencers of your kids' lives that are not you always carry far more weight than what you say. Why that is, I have absolutely no idea, all right? I'm sure there's a spiritual reason to that, right? But it really allows for uh, uh, adults to actually be able to disciple kids. And we deeply care about discipleship. Like we say that often, but this is actually an opportunity where if we view it less as like, I have to go serve in children's and even more so like a ministry, then man, we actually could create some permanency that could create some really solid discipleship in these kids' lives, right? We would almost then view it as a Sunday morning discipleship meeting, right? Like maybe we meet every Monday night for accountability and for Bible study or something like that. Well, this would just be an extension of that in some ways. And the opportunity to pour into the kids week by week actually creates a lot more uh, a dynamic growth, hopefully, in the kids' lives. And so, obviously, if you are serving in children's, you do not have to serve on a weekly basis. There will still be some of that. But what I invite you to as a church is to kind of pray for some of that. Like, like the, the, the value that that could have in the lives of our kids are actually really dynamic. In fact, we're the abnormal as a church where we do not have consistency in children's ministry where almost every other church has that in America, right? And that's part of the reason why is that we actually can create some value, some, some discipleship there. And so I would encourage you to pray for that and to pray for us. Obviously, if we multiply, the amount of volunteers will have to increase, but hopefully the influence that we have in our kids' lives can be that much more dynamic. And so that's one of the biggest things that we pray for in the midst of this is that, man, our kids would be able to be discipled. Amen? So, all right, um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them um, to Malachi chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, the ushers will come forward right now. And uh, if you do not own a Bible, you can just slip up your hand. They can give that to you. If you just want to borrow one for today, that's great too. But uh, if you don't own a Bible, man, would you take and keep that? That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word, be able to use it during the week. So as they pass by, feel free to throw up that hand. You can also follow along on your smartphone. Uh, if you have the YouVersion app underneath the live section, you can click on events and find the well there. You can also take this link and put it right into your browser. You can follow along that way. So we say this very, very frequently because we mean it. I mean, we want your eyes on the word, okay? Like we really believe that these are the words of God. And here's actually what I often pray for when I'm sermon prepping. I pray that at some point the word of God would capture our hearts and that you would literally forget that I'm even up here talking and that the word of God will begin to minister to you and speak to you, maybe even things that we're not talking about today. And so we want your eyes on the word that God's word may be able to speak to us. All right. So Malachi kind of continues poking at our heart some, okay, and that's uh, making us uncomfortable in a lot of ways. And so I said that overall, as a church, I really feel like we do a good job at chasing and pursuing and trying to understand and fall in love with Jesus. Like, I really think that that is something that we care about is the glory of Christ, who Jesus is, and kind of seeking him and pursuing him. And I want to maintain that. I want to continue to exalt, to disciple, to send for the glory of God, okay? And 
I do not want us to get comfortable in that. Just because we're good today doesn't mean that we can't kind of quickly go astray as we know our hearts are prone to do. And Malachi kind of gives us some guardrails so as to, to not go astray. And Malachi really makes us uncomfortable, if we're honest, you know. It's kind of like standing in an elevator with a stranger you don't know. It's just uncomfortable, right? Like, like there's never any sense of, of, of comfort in the book of Malachi. It just always keeps kind of making it awkward for us. And honestly, this is another one of those weeks. So welcome to church. You ready? Y'all are like, gosh, why did I invite my friend today? It's all right. Here we go. Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to pick it up in verse 6. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, or you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Okay, so one of the first things that we see is that uh, there has not been a pure love for God that has been kept by these Israelites. So, in fact, he calls them children of Jacob. Almost every time that that phrase is used in Scripture, and it's used throughout the Scripture, it's always used in a negative context. And if you're with us during our Genesis series, you remember that Jacob was the man who kind of wrestled with God. And at that point, God turned his name or changed his name to Israel. And in a lot of ways, it showed kind of his uh, uh, interaction and even conversion with the Lord. Whenever the Lord uses Jacob, he's using his old name and in a lot of ways insinuating the old self. And so what he's telling the people listening is, hey, you kind of are acting like you've never encountered God in the first place. You're acting like old Jacob right? Like not Israel, not this new identity, but you're, you're kind of acting like the old you, like you've, like you've never changed. And what we see is that there's not a purity for God that has been kept. They have interacted with God, but then they go back into their old ways like Jacob often did. And so uh, therefore, if God were a man, he would have destroyed them, the text says. Comforting, woo! Welcome to church, right? Like this may sound like terrible news, okay? But it is actually exceptional news if we look at the context of what's happening because God's response to the Israelites has less to do with them and more to do with his character. All right, you tracking with that? He says, if I were not the Lord, you would have been consumed, right? They are like children that continually poke and prod at God. They are not giving their lives to God. They continue to offend him and in a lot of ways spit on the name of God. And God says, man, you're lucky that I'm the Lord, <laughs> right? And that's actually a really, really good thing for us because what God is saying is that my character is that of such where I am slow to anger, where I am rich in love, and we are actually able to depend more so on the character of God than the response of man. Because how many of us would sincerely feel comfortable going and standing before Jesus if his response was based on how we acted? Right? I mean, I don't know how many hands would show, shoot up, but mine would not. <laughs> Right? Like I know that often my, I, I go astray, often I kind of sin against the Lord. And so God here is really in some ways giving them a, a picture of the gospel. And he's saying, hey, I am basing my interaction with you. I am basing my relationship with you based on my character, not necessarily your actions. However, if we look at God's character, it should impact our actions. We should not be like children of Jacob who keep going back to our old ways. We should actually be changed when we look at the character of God. And so all of us are children of Jacob, I think, far too frequently, where we forget that God has redeemed us in the first place. And now the sad thing is that the Israelites actually had no understanding of their shortcoming. How? How have we gone astray, they say? 
right? Like, like what have we done, God? In order to confess and repent, then you have to actually recognize where you fall short in the first place, right? You tracking with that? And they don't even see where they have gone astray. The Israelites have no understanding of the shortcoming that they have. That is probably an indictment on their own pride, but also on them not seeking the voice of God, them not understanding God, them not interacting with God so that he may convict them and challenge them and re-steer their course back onto the right path. And I would say that we too are in danger of either allowing our pride to block us from our need of God right? I don't really need God. I got this. I'm good to go. And our pride actually prevents us from being able to be steered back to direction with him, or we don't seek God enough in the scriptures, in prayer, in fellowship, in the many means that he has allowed the voice of God, as Liz even just shared this morning, to to communicate with us. We don't allow him to interact, so we don't even know where we've gone astray, right? The Israelites here are so blinded that they haven't even thought that they've strayed from God. And we, too, can become so blinded that we don't realize where we're veering course in a lot of ways. Robbie Gallaty, a a commentator on Genesis, he says this. When you are unaware of how you've gotten where you are, returning to where you started is rather difficult. If you're walking through the woods and you do not record your steps, it's difficult to retrace them. How much more difficult is it when you don't even realize you're lost? The children of Israel, God's chosen people, are in a precarious situation They stand shamelessly before a holy God and respond, God, how can we return? We're not even lost. And so we too, right, could go to church, be in community group, serving, reading our Bibles, whatever it may be, and not actually realize that our hearts are starting to drift away from the love and the mercies of the Father. We can start to depend on our own works and who we are, and we begin to veer course without even realizing. And then if God comes down with a rebuke, we're like, what? Like, I go to church every week, right? Like, I'm here at least 87% of the Sundays. That's better than most of these people. And we can start to compare ourselves, right, and start to, to falsely assume that we have not gone astray, not realizing because we're not listening to the Holy Spirit, not realizing that we actually veer course pretty frequently if we're honest with ourselves. And so how do they return? Or maybe even a better question is, how are they lost? Well, God keeps going in verse 8. It says this says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring a full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Y'all are like, Dang, I for real shouldn't have invited my friend. We're talking about tithing, right? Okay, we already collected offering. Don't worry about it, okay? But this is something that God actually lines up here, right? You know that robbing somebody actually entails that the person that is being robbed possessed it in the first place. Are you tracking with that? And so God says, you are robbing me. How? Because you are not giving me 10%. What is he saying? I own all that you have anyway, And when you do not give, then you are actually entailing robbing me. Now, this is super important because what this is saying is that God does not need our money or our tithes or our time. He actually already owns it, right? He does not need it by any means. It's already his already. God is not after our wallets. He's after our hearts. It's just that our wallets are a great indicator of where our hearts are. 
right? It is a great indicator of who we are before the Lord. How do we return to God, they ask? Well, God says, hey, how about you tithe, right? That is a part of the way that you show that your heart is not right to me because I gave you this command and you are not fulfilling this command. And so we too can very frequently check the condition on our hearts based on how our pocketbook is responding to God. One of the ways that we can test kind of our pure devotion is actually how we spend our money and why we spend our money the way that we spend our money. The Israelites didn't even see it though, right? Like, like they didn't even recognize what was happening and they were, they were straying away and God gives kind of indicators or points along the way to show this in a lot of ways. And the same can actually be true with us. If you jump over to Luke, Jesus kind of highlights something very similar. Luke chapter 12 in verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, and he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Notice here that Jesus says, watch out, right? Be on the lookout. Why does he say this? Okay, coveting is, or greediness maybe to use another word, is actually one of those sins that hides itself so deeply within our own hearts that it is actually hard for us to see how we are cheating God. It's hard for us to see how we are not worshiping God because of how it hides in our hearts. And so Jesus says, hey, you have to watch out for this, right? Like notice Jesus doesn't say, watch out, take care that you do not commit adultery, right? Because nobody is halfway done with adultery and then goes, oh my gosh, I'm committing adultery right now, right? Like, like you know that's what's happening before that happens, right? But Jesus actually says here, hey, covetousness is something that you don't even recognize as happening. You have to watch out. It is so tricky that it can actually plant roots so deep in your heart, and those roots will run so deep that by the time you see the, the seed kind of coming up out the soil, it's already so deep in your heart, it is hard to uproot it, is what Jesus says, right? Watch out. Be on the lookout. Okay, Jesus knows this is a dangerous sin. And even though the world is full of materialism, it's full of greed, it's full of coveting, it's full of hoarding or spending or using money for one's own satisfaction, it's full of the worship of money, I think that all of us would say that, it is so hard for us to see the greed within our own hearts and how we respond with our money to the Lord. Few recognizes how it creeps in and actually puts a block between us and God. In fact, pastors don't like talking about it because it's one of the, the sins of church growth, right? Don't talk about money. Why? Because we don't recognize how offended we are because we actually allow money so often to be our God rather than God. God himself said you cannot worship God in money. But it's so easy to do that. Why does he say this, right? Jesus actually warns us against covetousness or against greediness far more than he does against adultery or, or other sins. Why? Because it's so tricky. It's so tricky. The Israelites didn't even see it, and we too can miss it. We cannot even see it, right? Uh, I've been doing part-time ministry, at least part-time, mostly full-time ministry for, for over a decade now, okay? And I've had people confess all sorts of sins to me, right? Lust or anger, wrath, right? Revenge or, or fear or, or jealousy or adultery or, or different addictions. I've had all sorts of sins confessed to me. And to the best of my knowledge, nobody's ever come up to me and said, you know, I just spend too much money on myself. Never had that confessed to me, right? Greed, okay, covetousness with money. I've never had that confessed, though all of us would say it's a problem in our culture. 
do we really think that we're all not wrestling with it in some ways? Right? Like, we would be like the Israelites. God, how have we gone astray? And we don't even realize how it is keeping root into our own hearts, right? Like, it kind of corrupts our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with others. So often I disciple men and I say, you know, you work so much, your family never even really sees you, and you're working for a paycheck that's called worshiping money. It hurts people around you, right? Or it hurts our relationship with God or whatever it may be. But it hides itself in our heart and it makes us rob God. And it shows us that our full devotion is not towards God. It's actually toward money or other things. And so we hold this very, very tightly. And so we tell Jesus often as the people of God, man, you can reign as king over my sins. Remove those, right? You can reign as king over my fears. Yes, replace my fears. In fact, you can even reign as king over my personality. Like, you can change some of who I am. My wallet, right? Like, like you can't really reign as king there. At least we have to be co-kings there is what we often do with the Lord. It's easy to make the same error as the Israelites, okay? Maybe an easier analogy to kind of spin it in another way is that if I were to look at just your checkbook, right, or just your bank account, would I be able to tell that you love and worship Jesus or would I not be able to tell you apart from anybody else in the world? Like, does God have reign over all of our lives or just certain parts of our lives? I know, that's uncomfortable, right? But this is what God kind of lays out in Malachi, that our pockets actually showcase more of where our hearts are with God than a lot of other things. It showcases how much we actually believe in him and even more so how much we trust him. And that's why God is kind of laying this out, right? And so here's the crazy thing, right? Remember this, God does not need their money. In fact, the ironic thing about the verse in Malachi is that he says, if you give to me, then I will bless you with more, So not only does God not need their money, he actually wants to prove to them that he himself is a bigger giver than they are. He actually wants to bless and to pour down on them in some ways. It's it's already his money anyway. And so he's not trying to to pull out something that, that, that he doesn't have right now. He doesn't need it, right? He wants your heart because he wants your joy. And he knows that he is a better king and master than money is. Money is a terrible king and master, and it makes you serve it at your own expense and honestly at your own death. And Jesus knows, hey, I need to also pull out this idol from their life and replace it with me because I am indeed a better king and a better master than money is. So ironically, he says he will shower them with blessings, right? Like like he says, hey, showcase me. I will open up the windows of heaven. I I will pour out. I will show you how affectionate I desire to be for you. Honestly, okay, when I was preparing the sermon, I like have like a really tough time with this passage, one of the passages I have a hard time with because it's honestly hard not to sound prosperity gospel when preaching this passage, like sincerely, right? I mean, but, but the text is really clear, okay? And as I thought about my own life, I thought, you know, like, like this has proven to be true, you know? When I went to college, okay, I was a broke kid like everybody else in college, right? And I did not have a job. And sincerely, right, like, like one of the things I wanted was, God, I want a job to be able to give. Because each week in church, the bucket would be passing me, and I'd be like, womp, womp, <laughs> right? So I'm giving my time to the mission of God, but I ain't giving nothing else, okay? So I said, man, God, I, I, I want to be able to give, you know? And then God gave me a job uh, within the next couple of weeks, and I started making money. And then, of course, like three weeks later, I was looking at my cell phone bill, and that's back when they charge you like 10 cents per text, right? (laughs) And so your boy was texting, and it was a large bill, okay? And I had realized I forgot that I had not tithed yet. 
And so I thought, man, I can either give, <laughs> all right, or I could pay my cell phone bill. And so now I have this dilemma, okay? And I was like, you know what? I guess I just ain't talking to nobody the next couple of weeks, right? And I decided that I was going to give. The next day, somebody, get, I get a text, and I'm like, oh, wow, they didn't turn my phone off. Maybe they're giving me grace, you know? <laughs> like a week later, I go on, I get more money, second paycheck comes in, and I go to pay it, and it had been paid the week prior, okay? Now, here's the really crazy thing about that, is that it was my cell phone account on Sprint, and nobody else had access to that, and I, to date, have no idea how that joint got paid, but it got paid, right? And it was a blessing in some way. And I think about a very similar example. When we were planting a church, one of our good friends who helped us start this, Brad, uh, actually kind of got convicted about giving. And there was one day he had $100 left, and he too realized that he had not yet given. In fact, 100 wasn't his full tithe, but he realized, gosh, I hadn't given. And he had an electric bill. I wrote it down for seventy-two nineteen. okay? And he was like, I can either give, or I could pay my electric bill. Now, this is a little bit more serious because Brad had three kids, okay? And he said, I, I got to give. Like, that's, I just got to trust God, you know? And his wife was like, tripping, right? <laughs> like, right? You better pay that electric bill and learn. Remember to give next time, okay? And so he's like, man, I just, I really, really feel this conviction that I need to give. I need to give, you know? And so he gives. And then the next day he's at work and he's working at uh, a, a, like a sub shop and his tips average somewhere around 18 bucks a day. And he counted out the tips at the end of the day and the tips came out to 72.19, the exact number that the electric bill was, okay? Now, if you wrestle with God and who he is and even this idea of giving, like, I just, I don't know what to do with that, you know? Coincidences happen, but good night, right? <laughs> Like four times the amount on the exact penny, literally the exact penny is what he brought home and was able to pay that. Like, like God says, test me and watch me show you, right? Like I am going to show you, okay? Now, in fact, I want us to think about that because the idea of blessing may be a little bit different in our heads and maybe that's where we get tricked into the prosperity gospel, all right? But look at what verse 11 says. God goes on after encouraging them to test him. And he says, what will he do? He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fair, fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Sometimes our idea of blessing and God's idea of blessing are a little bit different. This isn't like the barter system, right, where you give God $20 and then he gives you 200 okay? This isn't like the, the, the roulette wheel of God's blessing, right? See where it falls today, right? That's not what he's saying here. For the Israelites, the idea of blessing was actually removing the devourer, which was likely a plague of locusts. That's usually what they called the devourer in the Old Testament. It was a plague of locusts. It was actually removing the curse for them that they would be able to kind of provide for their family. And so for them, the idea of blessing was removing the curse. I think it's easy for us to think, well, shoot, I'll give. Your boy wants a Tesla, right? <laughs> And not realizing that actually, what if that itself becomes a curse? Because what if the Tesla ends up entrapping you and causing you to worship it rather than God? God will never give you something that will steal your affection away from him. God will never deliver you over to another idol. And so the idea of blessing may look a little bit different. It may be like it was for me and Brad where actually Brad gave 100 and actually only got 72.19 back. Did you hear that? However, what was God's blessing on Brad? It was that Brad can trust God. 
God is going to be there for him. He will provide. He will not leave him empty. This is what God was trying to show. And listen, as somebody who likes Teslas, like I would far rather have a deep trust of God than drive that any day right? The understanding that God takes care of his people, that he loves us, that he's there for us, this is powerful. And this is what God is trying to show them in Malachi. If you trust me with what is mine already anyway, you will see the blessing of God open up. And maybe that is for some material, right? But maybe for a lot of others, that's something like, you'll just learn to grow in your faith of God. And that is so valuable that you should probably give your whole paycheck to that, right? Like the, the, the faith of God. And so, so regardless, blessing is promised here, okay? Blessing is indeed promised for those who give and who trust God with that. Ultimately, what money is is a revealing of our hearts before God, right? Even this idea of tithing, for example. People will often ask me, hey, is, is tithing like a New Testament like command, you know? Like, like, do I have to tithe in some ways, you know? And whenever I say no, there's almost always like a sigh of relief, Whew, right? Why? Because we're greedy, right? Like, that's true in my life, at least. I don't know. Maybe the conviction is just on me today, right? But, like, man, we feel that, right? We don't give to God because we don't trust God that he's going to give us back what we need, okay? When I go on and I begin to explain that actually every single Old Testament law is not relaxed in the New Testament, but it's actually exemplified, you know, like, don't commit adultery, don't even look upon a woman with lust, right? Like, every single New Testament law actually is expounded, that we should probably even give a little bit more to God because if believers in the Old Testament could give 10% and they didn't realize half of what God did to sacrifice his life for them and we are on this side of the cross and we are able to see what God has done, maybe our hearts should be even more generous and even more trusting toward God. Then all of a sudden it becomes a burden, right? And it's like, no, 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 we want the law. We like the law, right? Let us do that. We don't want to be a people of grace, right? Why? Because our pocketbooks show us how much we trust God. It shows us how much we want to give ourselves to him. This is an area where we are slow to allow him to be king, right? Like, Jesus didn't only spill 10% of his blood, right? He poured it all out. Why? That all who believe could be saved right? And then he calls us to give all of ourselves to him. This is a way in which we do that. And so Malachi is calling his readers not just to give part of themselves, but all of themselves. He calls us to do the exact same thing, that he would be our Lord and master. I read four different commentators this week, and as I was kind of preparing for this, and all four of them said that this is what was echoing even throughout the New Testament. In fact, one of the commentators I loved, he called tithing the training wheels for grace, right? These are the training wheels, like when you don't really know how to ride a bike yet. And so tithing is a good, a good kind of support system to say, I'll begin to kind of give to God what is his already anyway. It's, it's the training wheels toward faith in God. And when you freely and regularly give to God what's his already, then he immediately begins to bless you with more and more of who he is. It prevents greediness. It prevents coveting. It prevents idol worship. It allows us to actually be fully connected to our God who is far better than any amount of money that we have could give us anyway, right? God does this all throughout the time. 
Think about in our own personal life, this is a challenge for Natalie and I. So one of the things, just so that I could be transparent, that you could see how we've played this out, is that we uh, tithe to the church. And so everything we make, we kind of tithe immediately 10% to the church. And then we give about another 5% to missions or missionaries or different people that we support. And we want to keep uh, adding on that number. We're at 15%. We want to 20 25% to be able to give more. It's just that we got kids that be eating us out the house, right? <laughs> But we want to keep giving, right? And as a church, we've actually tried to model that for us as well. The church, on average, across America, gives about 1.2% to global missions, okay? And so we said we want to immediately, before we look at anything else in our budget, give 7% to global missions, 8% to local church planting, and 5% to things like Campbell or other partnerships. So we want to double tithe as a church, Okay? Now listen, sometimes it would be a lot easier to pull out the mission fund to like buy new speakers, right? Not like preachers, like those things, speakers, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe new preachers too, I don't know, right? But it would be really, really easy, right, to kind of pull it out and to use it for those means, right? But we're like, we're not even going to look at that. Like, we're not even, that is untouchable. Why? Because we want to show we are far more committed to God and to the kingdom than we are about this little tiny seedling of the kingdom. And if he wants to unravel this little seedling, then, man, let him unravel it. But we are going to give to God. And so, man, this allows us to trust God. And there have been times where we have been kind of strapped a little bit, and we say, man, we don't know. And then somebody just gives us, like, $12,000, right? We're like, there we go, right? God is trustworthy. We can trust him. We need to give. And so even as a church, like what you guys give, we try to practice that as a body to make our trust in God kind of grow deeper. It's the training wheels toward trust in God fully, okay? Let's finish our text for this morning, verse 12. It says, then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And so money was actually meant to be a witness toward others. It was meant that the nations would look in, they would realize how much these people trusted God, and they would go, gosh, there's something really different there, right? And the same is true today. When people look and they realize, man, y'all, what everybody else is kind of coveting, what the rest of the world is chasing after, you're like, meh, and you don't even really care, like you actually use that for the kingdom, like, like this becomes an immediate witness that our affiliation, our allegiance, our attachment is not on what most people's attachment on, it is actually on a true king. It's actually on God, right? This is a testimony to the world around us. It shows the world that we care far more about the kingdom of God than the kingdom of this earth because we know the kingdom of this earth is perishing and everything with it, right? One of my favorite stories, if you've been at the well for a while, you've probably heard me share this before, is there was a guy who uh, his dad was on the board for PepsiCo. Here, my man's was rich, right? And the guy, his son, felt really, really convicted that the gospel was not in kind of the 1040 window, the Middle East and, and different places over there. And so he actually said, I'm going to go be a missionary. And his dad told him, if you go, then I am taking you off of the will and you will get none of the money. And he was like, okay. And he went. And his dad still doesn't talk to him to this date, but his mom actually converted, right? Because she realized if Jesus is that worth it, there must be something to this man, right? 
our sacrifice financially is actually a testimony to the world around us, okay? And so how do we do, how we, how do we deal with this passage? What do we do here, okay? Because it's trying to root out this heart issue in some ways. And if we're honest, if we do a self-check, I think a lot of us would be able to say, man, I do actually kind of wrestle with coveting and, and greediness. I am a product of our culture, right? In fact, let me just be fully transparent. If it were not for the sermon this week, I wouldn't have even realized how I was doing it, okay? Last week, I was teaching somewhere, and I got 200 bucks for teaching, and then literally, I was driving, and I thought, oh, I, I, got, I got to give, I got to tithe on that money. Like, I made extra money, right? And then I thought, like, nah, like, that's, that's my money, right? Like, this ain't my regular money, okay? And I start wrestling with God, listen, over $20, okay? That's what 10% is, right? Like, and I'm literally wrestling. I don't even need it, right? But it is a wrestle. Like, man, if we're honest, if we self-check, we realize how much we want to hoard what is his anyway, and we don't see God, right? It's sneaky. It's, 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 it's entrapping in a lot of ways. But how do we root it out? Because we know we can't just self-will ourselves to kind of will these things out, right? If it's deep like that, we can't just be like, try harder, give more, right? Like that may be a temporary fix, but that's not actually going to change our heart. It's not going to be a holistic fix in the way that Malachi kind of lays out here. Here's the crazy thing is that we know that money is not a bad thing. We actually know that money is a really good thing when it's used well, right? And that's where the trap is in a lot of ways. We know that we need money to survive. We know that it is a good thing. And so the problem is that it's so tricky that we don't even realize when it takes root. And then we begin to think things like, I don't want to have to give more. Like, we have to do anything. God owns it, all right? This isn't what this whole section is about here. We don't even recognize our own greediness there. So how do we prevent ourselves from robbing God? I mean, come on. Can you even think about that phrase for a second? Isn't that scary to you? Robbing God? If God looks at you and says, why are you robbing me? Right? You're like, um, whatever. Like, no, this is scary, right? Like, man, like, this is intense. And so what do we do, okay? Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians actually gives a very, very similar argument. In fact, I would say he kind of takes this argument and he exemplifies it in some ways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul actually goes on to say, if you give sparingly, then you will reap sparingly. But if you give bountifully, then you will reap bountifully. It will be pressed together, shaken up, overflow. When prosperity gospel preachers use that text to say, give more, God will give you more money, right? But that's not what Paul understands in that text, though he does recognize that the blessing of God comes to those who give freely, but how do we root it out? How do we root out the fact that, man, money is entrapment? Well, Paul actually told us, because before he made that statement, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it'll also be on the screen. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, Jesus got this concept, right? Jesus is the ultimate tither because Jesus did not just give up 10% of what he had. Jesus actually gave up all of what he had, right? Jesus laid out everything. He had all of the riches of creation at his fingertips, the thrones of heaven, the angels around him, the streets of gold, the whole earth. He owned everything and Jesus gave it all up. Why? So that he might win you. Dang. 
Jesus, though the richest being that has ever been, became utterly poor so that we who are utterly poor might become rich in him. When we take our eyes off of the the fleetiness of finances and we fix our eyes on Jesus and we look at the gospel and realize how much Jesus has gave for our sake, then it moves us, friends. It moves us to recognize that Jesus is our ultimate example here, right? And here's the ironic thing is that after Jesus kind of gave it all up, did the verse in Malachi, did the verse in Corinthians, did that prove to be true for Christ? Well, it actually did. God opened up the floodgates of heaven, and he showered down blessings upon Christ because not only did Christ get it all back anyway, but he actually added value, and the value added was you. God sees you as so valuable, as so treasured, as such a precious possession that he would be willing to sacrifice everything, including, yes, his own life, that he may gain you as part of that value. He is willing to lose it all that you might come into the kingdom. Friends, you are beloved. You are beloved. Because we have a hard time giving 10% to God, right? God gives all for us. And when we see this, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, then actually we recognize that, man, what is this world, right? What is this? This is nothing compared to the riches that are to be had in Christ, us knowing him and being with him. Jesus says, why would you store where where thieves break in and steal and moth and rust, it, it rots it. Actually, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that they will never rot. They will never go away. Sometimes the blessing of God is actually not perceived here on earth, but it's in heaven. And one day we will see it most clearly and most fully. And when we look at Jesus and realize that he was willing to go through it for our sake, then it helps us not to be greedy with what we have because we realize, man, Jesus was not greedy. And if he was, friends, you would not be saved. You would not have an opportunity to know the Lord, right? This now actually shifts our hearts because it makes us realize, y'all, it ain't about money at all, is it? It's actually about our devotion to Christ. And do we love him? And do we recognize what he gave to us? And all this is is actually a tool that allows us to go further in our devotion and in our intimacy and in our relationship with Christ. This is nothing more than an opportunity for us to drive deeper in our love for him. And as we realize that, as we are moved by that, then it shifts our thinkings to, oh, I have to give more, right? Or, honestly, it even shifts our thinkings from thinking, oh, I get to give more. I still think that falls short. It actually shifts it to no longer do we even really think about money, right? It becomes nothing more than a tool to get God. It's not about giving and what that does. It's actually we just, we get our true treasure, And as we realize that we were his true treasure and he becomes our true treasure, that intimacy that we can have with Christ is profound. It's profound, right? This is what he tries to show us over and over and over again. We can bless each other. We can bless God when we trust God. And then we can use that to build up his kingdom and to say, hey, we want more people to hear about this, right? We we would give more freely so that more people may have this glory that he may receive the full reward of his suffering. And we do what it takes that other people would hear. We give toward this end because we recognize that it's not about money at all. It's about the treasure of Christ and his treasure of you. And so, friends, how do we root it out? Well, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So I pray that as a church that we would be a generous people, that we would be a people that that do not care about this stuff that much, right? And when we do, we are able to root it out of our hearts by fixing our eyes 
on our true Savior, who, though he was rich, became poor, so that us who are poor may one day be rich forever in him. I love you guys. Let's pray. Man, yeah. God, help us not to be like the Israelites. Forsake our love for you for something as as worthless as money. Man, forgive us, God, where we are selfish. Forgive us when we forget the gospel, when we forget to fix our eyes on you, our true and our glorious and our perfect and our good king, Jesus. Forgive us, God. Forgive me, right, for trying to steal $20 from you. Man, how pathetic. God, I pray that you would make us a generous people because of how overwhelmingly generous you have been to us, Jesus. Make us desire to give, and, and not just to give to get, but rather to give to get you, Jesus, that our hearts will be fixed on you. Let us be transfixed on you and let you become our everything, Christ. God, I pray for those who do not know you and, and do not know who you are. Jesus, I pray that in your glory and in your grace that, man, they would recognize maybe where they have not given themselves over to you, that maybe their money is a a blocker from actually relationship with you, or maybe their pride is not allowing them to see where they have gone astray. God, I pray that even right now, you would actually show how much you love us and how much we were your treasure, and that you would do a work in our hearts, Jesus, that we would make you our treasure as well. Man, friends, even right now, you can have this treasure forever. But if you tell our King and our Father and our Lord, I want you in my life, I am ready to give it all for you, you have it. It's that scandalous, it's that simple. The gospel says that Jesus became poor, that we might be rich in him. And God, I pray that we would be a people that are rich in you, King. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these men and women. Would you bless them? Would you challenge them to to give freely and to give sacrificially so that they may receive the blessing of you, God? Man, help us, Jesus. We love you, God. I pray in your very beautiful name. Amen.